Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics, and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. This is the fourth episode in a series that will include the thoughts of our guests on the current state of pharmacy, where this has come from, and where it is going in the future. Chris Freeman notes that the pharmacy profession has always been evolving and will always do so. Yeah, pharmacists past. I think pharmacists, when I reflect on it and I read articles around where people have reflected on where pharmacists come from and where we are now, they use the analogy, you know, you have this vision of the 1900s compounding chemist in this shop with uh, um, compounds behind them and they've, they've got their mortar and pestle or, or uh, uh, slab and um, spatula making up stuff. I don't think it's that black and white. I think it has been an evolution. You know, it's not like one day we stopped doing that and the next day we started on this sort of inverted commas professional services journey those things have happened earlier on and we are still compounding it's not like there's a start and finish and I might be able to sum this up a little bit quickly and I will mention 2023 briefly all pharmacy organizations and the external stakeholders like consumer groups have been calling on the pharmacy profession to evolve into a more services driven environment particularly community pharmacy and I think there are many pharmacies and pharmacists who would like to practice like that. And we have some pharmacists who are at the front of the wave who, who have invested heavily to be able to do that. Unfortunately, I think we are paralysed at the moment because the funding framework which we are supported by doesn't allow genuine investment by business into that model of care. And what I mean by that is if you wanted to transform your community pharmacy, which still had the provision of products, but have a heavy focus on service delivery, the way that remuneration comes in the door doesn't allow you to do that because you only get a a comparatively small amount uh, for those service delivery versus the volume supply of product. Now, if we are genuine in wanting pharmacists to move that way, then we need to change the funding framework so that pharmacy owners can genuinely invest in their business knowing that they're going to get a return and have that supported by those patient outcomes. So in a sense, if we are wanting to move from that past into what we're trying to say through the Pharmacist 2023 document as what the future will be over the next five years, then the funding framework is critical to that. The other thing that I just wanted to add to that is Pharmacist 2023. It's our document, our, for lack of a better term, a vision with actions associated with it. So, you know, I've seen many vision documents which espouse how great it could be, but they have little substance behind them because it doesn't exactly tell people how they might get there. And so this is our, not only our vision, but our roadmap with very uh, 11 very tangible actions that can occur within our profession to drive us forward. The pharmacists in 2023 is broader than just community pharmacy. Uh, certainly many of the actions there speak directly to community pharmacy and improving the ability of pharmacists working in, in community pharmacies to have a more fulfilling role, to practice at a high quality and consistency, and to be a destination where people seek health um, services from. But it does speak broader than that. It talks about embedding pharmacists wherever medicines are being used. It talks about digital transformation that's happening in our space, whether we like it or not. It talks about 
funding. It talks about the hospital environment and the clinical care required for patients as they are in hospital but also transition back out into the primary care space. So the thing that I'm really excited by with pharmacists in 2023, there's something in it for everybody. And when we've been able to speak to people about it, at least one of those actions out of the 11 will really resonate with them. And I was speaking to someone yesterday who practices in a rural and remote location in Australia, and I was being able to speak to our, about our rural and remote action there. And the basis of that is parity. You know, we have other health professionals who are able to practice in rural and remote regions of Australia and are supported to do so. They are funded to go out there. They are funded to stay there. They are funded to train in those locations. But in the pharmacy environment, we don't have those same support mechanisms. And so a lot of the document, some of the principle behind that is the parity between the pharmacy profession and other health professions so that we're treated equally in the health sector. And once we have that parity, then we can actually start to be integrated into the healthcare team, operate as a normalised member of the healthcare team and serve the patients to the best of our ability. Now, from a community pharmacy perspective, what does that look like for the future? And people talk about this reduced reliance on product provision. We're a pharmacy, right? We're still going to provide products. That is one of our core roles. So we shouldn't shy away from that. It is a clinical service. The actual cognitive process of actually dispensing a prescription is a clinical service. What we need to do is ensure that we have a high level of quality for that service and a high level of consistency. And many people who speak to me about these new areas of practice, whether it be vaccinations, prescribing, pharmacists working in other areas, they think that's great and that that we should be moving in those areas. But they also talk about we should also be lifting the quality and standard of what our current service offering is and to ensure consistency from site to site so that a patient can walk into any pharmacy across this country and expect to receive the same level and quality of service. The other component around the community pharmacy aspect of what the future might look like is in around how pharmacists interact with consumers as they present to a pharmacy. At the moment, again, the funding framework is really driven around a volume-based activity. What we are proposing through pharmacists in 2023 is that the consultation be supported financially for that pharmacist and that be varied based on the complexity and time that the pharmacist has engaged with that patient, knowing that sometimes it might be a very quick interaction and other times it can sometimes take hours to sort out a problem or an issue. And that goes not only for what we call inverted commas professional services, but also for dispensing of prescriptions. You know, I've been in, in situations where you've had a patient come in who's been on a medicine for 10 years. You have a very quick chat with them and you can dispense that prescription very quickly. Others where it's a new medicine or there's an issue that you need to sort out with the prescriber, that can take quite a long time. And currently we've got no mechanism of discerning via payment reward for the extra time that uh, is required for those more complex tasks. The final bit and something that is related is embedding pharmacists wherever medicines are being used. And can I just be very clear to say that this does not exclude pharmacists working in community pharmacies. So we at the society believe that pharmacists need to be at the point of prescribing so that we can start to avert some of the medicine areas that are occurring, but also to have a very strong role in the clinical uh, practice level services that might be provided so that we can affect the broader population rather than just at an individual level. And so the three areas that we've really advocated for that in that area are in uh, aged care facilities, that pharmacists should be embedded in aged care facilities, in general practice, 
and in Indigenous Aboriginal health uh, centres. Those are the three big areas that we've tried to do that. But what this isn't is at the exclusion of uh, the community pharmacist. So that community pharmacist might be the one who could be embedded in those areas, but also be the one who's connected into them so that those two pharmacists can actually work together for the betterment of those patients. Sam Cattenpah compares the evolution of pharmacy practice with a person growing and maturing. I think if I had to try to work out what that means to me, all I can picture is pharmacy as a child growing up. So pharmacy in the past essentially had quite a large amount of uh, financial backing behind it for various reasons, and that meant that they could do a lot of things that they loved doing. So they could explore all the things they wanted to do and everyone was feeling great and there was it around and we could do some really good work because we were learning to walk and talk and get out there. Pharmacy present is uh, like pharmacy's gone out and gotten itself uh, its first house and realised what a mortgage costs because the money's uh, started to dry up a bit. And that means that we have to seriously start having a look at what we're actually doing and why we're doing it and where we sit in the larger landscape. Because if we don't do that, then the pharmacy of the future means that we might not be in a position we want to be. So I think that now is the time to uh, invest heavily in new ideas and new ways to look at the world and really to come out and, and show the Australian public and the healthcare system what we are and who we can be. And I think that uh, like all adolescents going through that, it's important that that's done in a way that's respectful. But um, I'm a big believer in, particularly amongst men's health, about the image that men have of themselves. And one of the big things of that is the ability to feel masculine and to, to stand up. And I think that's something that pharmacy can do, is that we should be encouraging it to stand up for itself. And when people want to make an attack on pharmacy, we've always been very polite and tried to play the, the nice cop. And I think that's a good thing that we take that stance. But I think we also not to need, we need to not be afraid to actually turn around and tell people no, that is not acceptable. This is the way it's going to be and this is the value we have and they're difficult conversations to have but at the end of the day that's what wins you the respect and other organisations with longer histories than ours in Australia have done that and that's why they're in the position we are now. So I see pharmacy blossoming in, into a, in a pretty decent sort of adult and hopefully it doesn't make poor decisions like get bad tattoos and a dodgy car or anything. Sandra Minnis notes that pharmacists still have so much potential to fulfil. One thing that I learned a little early on in my, I guess, part-time work in community and also experience on placement is how important it is as a pharmacist to have your own structure and how you go about achieving your goals for the day and how you go about managing your workload. And when you leave your work or when you leave a job and you pass over to the next pharmacist, it's important to always have everything clear and concise so that you know, if you leave, the pharmacist that comes in can take over easily and there's no questions asked and there's that continuity of care and that efficiency that allows for um, better medication management too. Simon Carroll talks about how pharmacy evolution has rapidly increased alongside progress in other areas of society and life. I think pharmacy past was a space that there was... And it wasn't just pharmacy, but the world travelled slower. Change was slower. There was more surety in what was going to happen tomorrow. Pharmacy present, that rate of change has skyrocketed. And I think that's made or created uncertainty. And the changes, in, particularly in pharmacy, when you come to the economic changes, the economic environment which surrounds community pharmacy now, which... Is there in the political environment around pharmacy and, and I guess the political environment in our whole country? It just makes seeing too far into the future far more difficult. 
on the whole, I'm an optimist, and I see pharmacy coming out of this stronger and better. I see pharmacy getting to the point where we actually maximize and start to use our what's a common word these days is full scope of practice. And so clinically, I think we're going to step into a more of a health professional zone. But I do think community pharmacy is going to be split in a very strong divide where at the moment it's quite blurry between whether you're a retailer, discounter, or whether you're in that professional health services area. And I think that divide is just going to become far more defined so that you're going to get certainly the retailers. They know who their market is and they're pushing them. And that's going to continue and they're going to succeed as they have now. But I think equally those who go to the other extreme in terms of the health services and the professionalism and the health professionalism of pharmacy, they're going to thrive as well. Oh, last thing is I think the people sitting on the fence who are trying to have a bet each way and be a bit of everything to everyone, they're not going to be here. Yeah, I think it's very difficult for those for those, like the pharmacies that are sitting on the fence and trying to be a bet each way. And it just makes life very stressful because they're trying to, they're price matching ad hoc every day. And that's not a way to run a business. Or they second guessing every day. And that's just very hard. Adam Lavori and Jared McMore discuss the importance of gathering data, the importance of pharmacists having access to more clinical information for patients to make better outcome decisions, as well as point of care testing. Look, I have no real, real concerns, I think, with the future of pharmacy. I think people sometimes fail to understand that through confrontation and through investigation is is how we get answers and we're able to grow and develop. I think if people wanted to just maintain the status quo but then somehow assume that things would improve is is possibly folly to think that way. And so I think as long as that we're, you know, that we're that we're making the right choices and we're able and we're being able to I think measure the choices that we make. I mean I know I keep sort of harping back to that but I mean it's no surprise that all the most successful businesses in the world have harnessed big data whether ethically or unethically and I think it's something that we need to be considering particularly when it comes to the development of any new service it needs to be outcome measured not not provision measured so no I'm not concerned about the future of pharmacy I think I want to embrace the confrontation for the betterment of our profession and then hopefully that also means the improved care of patients but uh in saying so, I think it's important to always, yeah, take that moment to stop and look back and see see where we've come from and move forward. I was actually saying that to an intern pharmacist yesterday, and I remember the first time I came to APP um, as the NAPSA vice president, and it was the first time we had a robot at APP, and it was the big, new, shiny, this is crazy thing. And then for her, like she's gone through pharmacy, uh, like through her, her pharmacy college with robots as being a thing. So even in my short term as a pharmacist, we've already seen what was once considered an unusual and new scary thing to simply become the norm. And I say it's going to be the, the next step when we talk about, you know, big um, like health networks and EMR, it'll be, you know, the, the same thing. I'll be talking to an intern when I've hit my, you know, 10 or 15 year mark. And they'll be baffled as to how we we're even able to do our jobs if we weren't able to access Argus data with regards to discharge summaries, path results, and everything like that. Yeah, I think that's a big area of practice where once pharmacists have reliable and consistent access to useful and accessible health data about a patient that's standing in front of them, that that will have a huge shift in the kind of practice that pharmacists are delivering, but also the, the generations after that will look at us and they'll say, 
I could never practice in a position where I didn't have access to that data. And, and mm. we would have to explain to them, you know, unfortunately, we haven't always had it. And there are situations where you won't have it. And you have to be able to make the kind of um, best outcome um, considered decisions that you can possibly make with the data you've got access to. An example of what you're talking about before, last year's APP, there was a limited number of point of care testing devices. Of those ones, I've got one. It's $5,000. It's the size of a shoebox. It gives me HbA1c and it gives me cholesterol panel that is quantitative not qualitative, which is a really important thing for me when I purchased it. And mm -hmm. I could do, what's the other test that I could do that I don't do? I think it's C-reactive protein. Oh, okay. I think, I think that's what, I don't use it, so I, it's not sticking with me. But this year there are four or five point-of-care testing devices that are the size of a blood glucose um, meter, and they give that kind of data and more, and they are far, far less expensive. So this is one year, one year difference. Yeah, And we've yeah. got miniaturization, uh, increased scope, without necessarily increased um, accuracy, you know, there might be some trade. I haven't had a good look, but you can see, you know, in one year, something that, you know, three years ago wasn't even thought of as something that pharmacy could get access to, to being something that front runners or frontier breakers are sort of starting to bring into pharmacy into practice. And now everybody else who thinks, okay, well, let's look into this. They're going to have this whole world of yeah. less expensive, more accessible devices so that, you know, pharmacy practice can sort of change in a way that would be, yeah, quite, quite beneficial. The the point of care testing things a really interesting topic. I was actually hoping when I came to the trade hall today. There's an American company called AliveCore that are um, introducing wearable devices for atrial fibrillation, and one of the new products that they're, I believe, they're in the process of launching or have launched is a watch band that integrates with your Apple Watch, and they've got FDA approval in terms of its ability. Um, it's got extra monitoring bands um, to be able to detect patients that are that are in AF. And I think looking at those kinds of those kinds of devices and being able to help bridge gaps in healthcare is where I'm really sort of excited to to watch that space. Mm. I feel like we've had a lot of functionality with heart rate and BP monitors with not necessarily the kind of access and guarantee that we want to see with them. So being able to have those devices that are actually going to produce a reliable result and hopefully integrate with the rest of their record. The last thing I'd want is that, you know, the GPs ordering our cholesterol panels, we're not privy to that data. So we do our own point of care cholesterol panel and, you know, the patient gets stuck in the middle because of whatever there may be differences in the test or opinion or targets. So I'd like to see that the introduction of any of these new testing methods moving forward is still integrating into the patient's health narrative and is not just another silo technology that's potentially confounding their treatment. Amanda Cross shares on it being an exciting time and the expansion of scope of practice and remuneration. 15 years ago, when I was still in high school, I spoke to a pharmacist then who was working in hospital pharmacy about pharmacy, why should I do it, why was it great? And that was a really inspirational conversation. But I reflect on that conversation now and the things that pharmacists can do today, exponentially greater and exponentially more exciting than what she was doing then. And even then it was fantastic. So as Amy said, it is a really exciting time and we are seeing a lot um, more expansion of scope of practice. Where we'll get in another 10 years or another 15 years time, I don't know. <laughs> it would be, yeah, it really is exciting time. I'd like to see, I guess, yeah, the remuneration sort of following all the services and skills that we are 
developing. Like it's great that we are being integrated into more settings and doing vaccinations and being involved in all these decisions and doing more research and that sort of thing. But it's not sustainable unless we can find the remuneration and maintain the high quality pharmacists that we need to continue to advance those services. And if the remuneration and the systems don't follow, then these sort of services won't be maintained and we won't sort of get where we want to be in another 10 years' time. Amy Page shares on having a sufficient workforce for supply and distribution and the importance of evidence base and research. I think it's a really exciting time to be in pharmacy for all of us. I mean, we've actually finally now managed to get enough pharmacists in the workforce to be covering our basic roles and our core functions in the supply and distribution of medicines because ultimately if we don't have the supply of medicines perfect, then there's no point looking at anything else because we I mean, what's the point in trying to optimise medications if the person can't access them adequately? So now we've actually got a sufficient workforce and processes in place where we've got a really good system to ensure regular supply of medicines. It actually means that we have been able to move into a system where we can focus on developing cognitive and clinical services outside of the supply function as well and that's been a really exciting opportunity for pharmacy over the past few years and I think that opportunity is only going to continue to increase. So we do need to make sure that pharmacists are practicing in an evidence-based manner and part of that is making sure that practice is informed by research and that research is informed by practice and that the two are actually seen as being completely integrated and integral to each other instead of often being separate activities as well. So we do need pharmacists in every aspect of pharmacy being aware of and hopefully even engaged in research as well so that those practice, those research questions are actually informed by what's happening on the ground. Diana Mill and Erin Cooper discuss how pharmacy was not considered a profession and they also discuss the importance of engaging students and early career pharmacists. What an interesting question. So when I've been reviewing literature for my work, it's interesting to see that in the past, pharmacy wasn't necessarily considered a profession. So we had a role in uh, medication supply. We then became a profession because we compounded medications in the past. Big Pharma came along and took that role away from us. So we had to adapt again and our role became medication supply and some medicines information role essentially. And then now in the last two decades, we're going into these professional service roles. We're establishing ourselves more as medicines experts and putting ourselves in teams of healthcare and just being the person that can provide the medicines information, which I think is really exciting. And it's really interesting to see that we progressed from sort of such a basic role to now be able to provide so many extra things. I think our education reflects that as well. I think it's trained, changed a lot. We used to do a traineeship and now we do a full university degree and then an internship. Um, but I think there's so many exciting things happening for pharmacy and if we can keep pushing into the roles in the future, the future's really bright. But we need to reflect on what's happened in the past as well to know that we need to keep changing and change needs to happen reasonably quickly in this day and age as well. 
I debate these topics with people a lot. (laughs) I guess like when I think of that question, I think immediately go to think about the future of pharmacy and especially in my position that I'm in at the moment, the future of pharmacy is pharmacy students. So I guess when I think of the future of pharmacy, we need to engage the present students with, for example, getting involved with NAPSA and their local branches. By doing that, they'll become more aware of what's happening as the profession as a whole. And by empowering these students, um, it'll show hopefully positive impact for the future of the profession. I think it's really important for our leaders of today to continue to recognise that early career pharmacists, and that includes students, Mm. are the people who are going to be living and working in the profession in 20 years' time. So the decisions they make today are going to affect the future of our profession that we're going to be working in. So I think it's important that we continue to have a seat at the table because when they're retired, we're the ones who are going to be dealing with the outcomes of the decisions that were made now. And I think that NAPSA having that voice as well is fantastic. I think us having an early career pharmacist having a seat at the table is fantastic with PSA. And I think we need to keep that theme going to get the best out of our profession for us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.